0: All right, we are in week number one of a brand new series, yes. and uh, we have uh, still having a little techni- technology problem there. That with might Media have Shouting. something to
1: do with the thunderstorms it could going be. on here. It could wow. Be.
0: Um, I know for me in my life, uh, when I'm driving my car, um, there are many times when I'm just kind of one-hand driving, and I'm multitasking. Are you one-hand driving Um, like, you know? I'm one-hand driving, usually with my (laughs) left hand. Well, sometimes I'm right. Usually my left hand, because this hand, usually my right hand, I'm probably eating a cheeseburger or a hamburger or something like that. That's that's important. I might be talking on my phone. I frequently do this, and you know, and, and you can do that for a while, but... We understand it is a little bit risky if we do that. It is slightly risky. Um, Now, when the road is smooth and everything's going okay, it's not as risky. It seems to work okay in that scenario. But, like in a bad storm, I drove through this morning. In a storm, here's what happened for me this morning. You got the wipers on high and they are going crazy and you're looking and you're watching and I still can't see ahead. Have have you ever been in one of those storms? Maybe you're on the interstate and it's raining so hard you can barely see the taillights in front of you and people are driving with their flashers on and some people are pulling off to the side and letting it go by and it seems to be getting even more dangerous because of everything that's going on. But here's what we have a tendency to do, at least for me. One of the first things I do, and I know we talked about this, I reach over and I will turn the radio off or whatever's on, no distractions. And then I immediately take my other hand and it is on the wheel and I am white knuckle driving. I mean, I just, I'm concentrating so, so much on everything. And if anyone's with me, I'm probably like, please stop blinking so loud so I can concentrate on everything that's happening and I can understand what's going on. I want to be safe. Two-handed knuckle driving.
1: Well, yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. The, the radio thing, for sure, I am turning the radio down. If I think I might be lost, anything negative going on in the driving, I am turning that radio down. And the, the fact of the matter is, we all drive better, we all drive safer, and we all drive more carefully when we have two hands on the wheel, the 10 and 2, right? We learned it in driving school, we learned it, uh, We yeah, that's the way we're supposed to operate it, behind the wheel, 10 and 2. But Even though it would seem, since Harley has basically been giving you a driving lesson the last few minutes, it would seem that maybe we're talking about safer driving in this series. It's not. This series is all about how to blow your life in four very easy, four very simple steps. How to blow your life in four steps. Because, let's face it, your life, my life, our life, it is going somewhere. We're not sitting still. We are moving, and we're going in a direction. And if we're driving our life one-handed, yeah, like what Harley was talking about, if we're driving our life one-handed, eventually, give us enough time, we're going to run it in the ditch. We're, we're going to blow it. So that's step one. That's what this morning is about. Step one of four steps to blow your life is driving life one-handed. Now, you're probably sitting in front of your TV or in front of your computer screen going, what are these guys talking about driving one-handed? Well, it's not a question of if you're going to do it, it's really just a question of how often are you going to drive life one-handed. We're, we're not talking about once or twice in your life. We're talking about an exponential number of times that we have driven our life one-handed. And one-handed life driving happens for all of us. When we choose to drive our life with feelings, we're, we're driving life one-handed. We're driving life one-handed, and so we are, uh, anytime that we are driving our life one-handed, it's because we're driving with feelings, and yeah. it's because we're driving with emotions, and those, there's a long laundry list of emotions and feelings we could be talking about. We could be talking about fear. We could be talking about sadness, excitement, happiness. Um, we could be talking about anger, but when we drive our life with feelings and emotions... We're driving one-handed.
0: Yes, we are. And, you know, just to kind of give them context, we're going to see if we can get that roll-in in here um, to give you an understanding of where we're going with this series. Um, Are we going to be able to do that, Taylor? Okay, we're going to try to... Just give me a flag when you can do it. We're going to try to bring that in, and we can certainly uh, just roll. We just want you to understand this series is called Four Steps. To blow, blow your life. Yeah, yeah we want, we're going to teach you in four easy steps how to just blow it and just ruin it. Um, I've been there. <laughs> I've done that. You know, it doesn't sound too bad driving one-handed. Right. You know, it, it doesn't sound bad at all. I, after all, it it's works frequently when you're actually driving a car. I mean, you can get away with it and you can get by with that one-handed driving. But this is where the metaphor breaks down. Because it breaks down when we start talking about our lives. Because what works for the car, um, when the roads are good actually, and the traffic is good, and when the weather is good, it works in the car. But it actually, it just doesn't work for our life at all. The Bible describes this part of us as our heart. And the heart being the center of our feelings. And the Bible says really if, if it is left to itself. If we just kind of go by the heart. How many times have we heard the phrase. Just follow your, follow heart, your right? heart. right? And if we do just follow our heart. The reality is it almost never leads us to God. Instead. Our heart leads us to just satisfy ourselves.
1: Right, and God actually warns Israel about that in. He he tells Jeremiah, who was a prophet to the southern kingdom of Israel, this kingdom of Judah, and he tells Jeremiah, and Jeremiah passes that information along to the southern kingdom of Israel, basically warning them hey, This is what's happening. This is where following your heart, following your feelings, following your emotions, this is where it's going to lead you. And and he really, he's telling us as well. And in Jeremiah chapter 17, the first three verses, I'm just going to paraphrase very, very quickly. God says to Jeremiah, and then Jeremiah tells the people, basically, Judah, y'all's sin is so bad. And y'all are so far off base, and you have one-handed, driven your life into the ditch so often, it's basically like I have written the sin, or it has been written down on a stone tablet with a diamond chisel. Everybody knows about it. It's so bad that even your children, your children are worshiping at pagan altars. That's how bad it's gotten. And then Jeremiah goes on and says, and God told me that Hey, because it's so bad, and because we are so wicked, God is going to, God is basically going to give us over to our enemies. Our, he's going to give our um, He's going to give our wealth. He's going to give our treasures. He's going to give our pagan shrines. He's going to give everything over as plunder to our enemies, because sin is so rampant in Judah, and driving life one handed by our heart. It makes for a really great movie. In fact, during this quarantine, and obviously I can't see you if you react to this question, but I'm still going to ask it anyway. Um, You at home right now, if you have, uh, over the course of this quarantine, ladies, or maybe guys, I mean, my dad's a huge Lifetime movie guy. He loves him some Lifetime movies. But um, ladies, have y'all been binge-watching Hallmark? Right? Yeah, we got... We had somebody... Yes, me. Binge watch... Right. Hallmark movies are all basically the same movie. You know, they all basically begin the same. They've got some kind of a plot in between, and they end the same. Now, they all, though, kind of follow that... Just follow your heart. Follow your emotions. Follow your feelings. It makes for an awesome movie. Hallmark movie. But it doesn't make for a very good reality when we drive our life one-handed with feelings and emotions leading the way. In fact, Jeremiah... In chapter 17, he goes on and explains why following the heart, following emotions, doesn't work. This is what he says in Jeremiah 17, starting in verse 9. The human heart, so our feelings, our emotions, kind of what we think, who, what makes us who we are. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? So if, if we're letting feelings drive us, we're probably not going to like the result. Um, Jeremiah goes on, but I, the Lord, search all things, search all hearts, and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve.
0: All right. Now, I just want to take a moment to make sense of what you're seeing around us this frame, because this is part of uh, kind of our thematic branding of this uh, series. It kind of has a comic book motif Our uh, roll-in, something went wrong with the computer today, so the roll-in wasn't there. That would have made that make sense. But let me me continue. So if we are driving life one-handed, which means by what we're talking about today, letting uh, our hearts kind of lead the way, letting our feelings lead the way, if we're driving life one-handed, then here's kind of what that is like, because... It's not so much like a car if we're driving one-handed. I would say maybe it's more like riding a bull. That may be a better example. You know, to ride a bull, they only use one hand. That's all they use, but it rarely ends well.
1: Basically never. Eight
0: eight Uh, seconds
1: (laughs) is the limit, you know.
0: (laughs) It almost never ends well. It, it, It just... So if we are... If we are living life one handed let 's think of it for a moment like a bull ride. So if we were doing this bull ride, having this bull ride here 's the thing: you never know where you're going to go i mean you're not choosing if you're going by feelings in your heart your heart it's the bull is going to choose where it's going to go you don't really get to choose, so you're kind of powerless if you're If you're kind of hanging on one-handed for the bull ride, you're not in control. You're just literally trying to hang on and to get in your life to whatever is next. You're just trying to hang on and get there. Um, You have this idea maybe that you are planning, um, that you're looking ahead, but the reality is no, you're just responding. If you're living life by your feelings, one-handed, you're just responding and you're going to end up landing in the poo. It's going to happen. You're going to be ejected from that bull, and you're going to land in the poo. In the poo. <laughs> and also, someone else is probably going to feel the need. Um, you know, they got those rodeo clowns out there. They've also got uh, the guys all around the arena. Someone is probably going to feel the need if we are living life one-handed by our feelings, someone out there is going to feel the need to come in and rescue me um, and help me. But the problem is, they're probably going to end up getting hurt as well. So, you know, it it might be fun at times to live life one-handed by letting our feelings make those decisions. Usually, it's scary. But always, someone, somehow is going to get damaged in the process our bottom line says this let feelings drive and it's hard to survive let feelings drive your life and it's hard to survive and if you want proof of that i'm going to be honest with you just look at me and i guess if we were all honest with ourselves then maybe we just each need to look at ourselves and I, say, yeah. I
1: know me, personally, I can give a great example at work. I, For the last several years, I worked for the, uh, for the city, for the Parks Department, and as part of that, we would throw baseball and softball tournaments, and they were always very high pressure, very high stress, and a lot of people coming at you, and, and it really seemed like every decision you made was going to make somebody happy and it was going to make somebody mad. That was just the way it was. And so I always felt a lot of pressure and a lot of stress, a lot of feeling and emotion on those days. And it never failed. Every tournament that I ever threw that we ever were a part of, whether I was helping or doing it or whatever the case may be, the morning time when I was the most pressure because it was always that once you got those first games underway, it kind of settled down. Yeah. But for that first, until those first games got started, it was amazing how, man... I was so emotional, and I was driving one handed. That when I was not a nice person, and people would come up to me with legitimate questions and with legitimate concerns, and my go to, I would snap, and I would be just not really. I would like to think who I really am, but man, I just I was kind of a jerk.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I, I can certainly relate to that. I mean, I, I mean, sadly, there's a common phrase that. <laughs> you know, it's Harley's in that, that, when things are going wrong, you know, with technology and we're trying to figure it out, you know, I, I understand that. But, you know, that that impacts me as well, even with just family. On a personal level, when I drive with my feelings, so here here is something that could happen, and it has happened to me in my life over the many years I've been alive. Um, so, it, with family, speaking of, you know, you know, like my kiddos and if I sense some disrespect, um, it doesn't have to be to me, it could be towards someone else, but if I sense the disrespect, if I'm driving by my feelings in that moment, living life one handed in that moment, my initial feeling is to get angry and then react. Out of that anger very quickly, and so before I have really even thought through and and, and have have just even thought about it at all what i 'm getting ready to say and how it 's going to sound and how it 's going to come out. I don't even I don't stop to think about that and I just I feel it and I react.
1: It never fails as far as my close relationships and family. For me, if I'm feeling again stressed, pressured, I always take it out on the wrong people. Never fails. I never go to the source of the problem. I never deal with it, you know, for lack of a better term, rationally. If I'm driving one handed with emotion and feeling, it always seems like I am pointing my anger and my frustration. I'm gonna point it at the wrong people every time. Uh, man. Every time.
0: Uh, Every, everything you're mentioning, I'm thinking, yeah, me Cosine, too. Cosine, me me. Yeah. Um, uh, Let me. Let me talk about marriage for a minute. And me, if I'm driving life one-handed with my feelings being in control, if this is my feelings hand, um, okay, if I'm feeling loved, that means the road is smooth, the weather's good, I, I, I'm okay, I, I'm doing all right. But if I'm feeling... In my marriage, if I'm feeling disconnected, and ultimately, here this is for a whole nother teaching, but if I'm feeling something, nobody can make me feel something. we're not talking, we don't have time to break that down. Let's just say, if I'm feeling disconnected, then here, if I'm living one-handed, I'm reacting out of that, and here's what I have a tendency to do. And... Vanessa's listening this morning. This is no mystery to her. If I'm driving life out of my feelings in my marriage, I begin to nitpick. I, I, I began to look at the minute, the tiny, the smallest things. And I let those bother me. And it all started with I'm just feeling disconnected. and, and But I'm driving one-handed. I let it bother me. And then as I let it bother me, then I began to act really funky, just out of sorts. And, I, and I'm acting that way toward the one that I love and that I cherish. And so for me, I end up being on this emotional roller coaster when I'm one-handed driving by feelings in my marriage. I'm on a roller coaster, but that leaves Vanessa then walking on eggshells. So it's it's certainly not fair to her, and it is not a good experience. So let's see what God has to say about all of this stuff, about us living by our feelings.
1: When Harley and I were sitting down trying to, uh, what example, what uh, application can we find in in the Bible? There were a lot of examples. There were a ton, but it seemed like we always kept going back to the same person out of the Bible, and that was Peter. We seem to always go back to Peter, because Peter if you really study the look at the scripture and kind of look at the way Peter acted, reacted, spoke, Peter was rash. He was a a pretty rash person. He often lived by his feelings and he lived by his emotions. And we've got a lot, and again, we've got a lot of examples of that and we couldn't use all of them, but and and Harley and I we can definitely relate to Peter's one-handed, rash, reactive, emotional living. We can re- relate to that and probably a lot of people Maybe everybody watching, listening right now can also relate to that, but Peter's a great example, and we're going to look at two specific days in the life of Peter. Now, these two days are actually going to be separated by right at two months, maybe 50 days or so, and there's a lot that really happened in those two days, but they happened a couple of months apart, so if you want to blow your life, just let feelings drive, because it is very hard to survive, and Peter... He saw that. He experienced that. On the first um, day in the life of Peter that we're going to look at, it is actually a night that happened just a few nights ago. The anniversary was just a few nights ago. It was the night that Jesus was arrested. So uh, probably uh, on a Wednesday night, maybe a Thursday morning, very possibly Jesus, it's the night that he's going to be arrested before he is going to be tried and beaten and tortured and crucified, and, and started this whole Easter thing, started this whole Resurrection Sunday. So this is an event that actually happened where while Jesus and his disciples were in the upper room experiencing the final Passover, what we call the Lord's Supper. And Jesus, the Messiah, he takes a bowl of water, and he takes a towel. He takes a bowl of water and a towel, and he begins washing the feet of each one of his disciples. So he goes around the room, and he's taking this water and this towel, and he's washing the feet of each one of his disciples. Well, he gets to Peter, and when he gets to Peter, as is often the case, feelings come rushing out. Emotions come rushing out of his mouth, because that's where Peter often shows his rashness, is out of his mouth. And it, it leads him to respond in a, in a really an unflattering way. So John, one of the disciples, who was an eyewitness of this entire event, he saw it happen. He writes it down, and he records what happened in John chapter 13, verses 8 and 9. And so remember, Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. He gets to Peter, and then, verse 8, Peter says, No, no, you will never, ever wash my feet, Jesus. It's not happening. And then Jesus replied, Unless I wash your feet, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. So unless I, I said feet, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. And then all of a sudden, Peter, he changes He says in verse 9, then Simon Peter exclaimed, "Okay, then wash my hands, wash my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. So again, Peter is being led by feeling. He's being led by emotion. And Peter goes from one extreme all the way to the other extreme. He has this huge pendulum shift from one side to the other. He goes from none of me, Jesus, to Jesus wash all of me from head to head. Yeah,
0: he's driving by feelings, and so after they finish everything that they're doing in what's called the upper room, that's how we know that story, um, they leave that place, and they're headed towards the garden, Um, and so the Passover is done, they're headed towards the garden. Now, this is the garden where Jesus is going to be arrested, Um, but on the way, Jesus pauses, and he tells his disciples, 11 of them who are there, he says to them, you know, listen guys, tonight, every single one of you will desert me tonight. Now again, feelings, they quickly rush in, and um, they take control, as they often did, and Peter is, once again, one-handed driving his life through feelings, And what comes into his mind and his heart with feelings, it rushes out of his mouth again. And here's what he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Peter declares, Even if everyone else deserts deserts you, Jesus, he says, I will never desert you. And Jesus responds in verse 34. He says, Well, I, I tell you the truth, Peter. This very night... Before the rooster crows, in other words, before the sun comes up, you will deny me three times. Three times that you ever knew me. And once again, Peter, with great feeling, he drives on and he responds, No! He insists. He's correcting Jesus. No! Even if I have to die with you... I will never deny you. And and we find out Peter was not alone. And all the other disciples vowed the same thing. That's what the scripture says. And we do know this as a fact. They all, all of them, when Jesus was being taken away, every single one of them, they run away. So you let your feelings drive And it is hard to survive.
1: So we're going to take an interesting picture parallel here for the next few minutes. And we've already talked about Peter and how he drove one-handed and he let feelings and emotions and his heart uh, lead him and really direct his decision-making on this night. And we're going to parallel that with the picture of Jesus and how Jesus instead drives his life. So we're now in the garden. So we're on the same night, late, late, late Wednesday night, maybe probably early Thursday morning, the night after Passover, Jesus is about to be arrested. And this is where Jesus prays before he is arrested, tried, tortured, and killed. So we're in the garden. Now, there are some very important life decisions that are about to be made. Probably the most important decision, a human Jesus was all man, as he was all God, probably the most dis- important decision that has ever been made. We miss the point sometimes. Jesus didn't have to do it. He didn't have to do it. In his humanity, he could have said, eh, not going to do it. But he makes a decision here in the garden that impacts all of us. Not just him, it impacts Harley, myself, everyone watching, and it impacts us eternally. But... Let's see the process that unfolds as Jesus is making this all-important decision. And Matthew records it for us. Matthew 26, verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. So he takes his 11, because of course Judas is gone. Judas is gone to betray him. So the 11 disciples, or apostles, they're with Jesus. He says, I want you all to sit down here, and I'm going to go pray. And then verse 37 tells us that Jesus took Peter and Zebedee's two sons named James and John, and then he became anguished and distressed. So he took Peter, James and John, who were really his closest friends, and they went further, and Matthew tells us that Peter or that, excuse me, that Jesus was anguished, and Jesus was distressed. Jesus was emotional. He was experiencing feelings that we probably have never felt. Jesus knew what was coming. He knew his arrest, his torture and his death. A very painful excruciating death was just a mere hours away and Jesus in his humanity was hurting. He was emotional and he was feeling it. This is Jesus who is completely human and Jesus who is completely God. The God who came to live among us we are seeing raw his feelings And everything. And then we're going to see how Jesus responds. One hand, two hands. Verse 38. This is Jesus. He told them, and again, more example. My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Jesus is at a point that we probably cannot understand. Many of us can. I don't want to say none of us can. But Jesus was at the lowest of the low. And then he says, stay here and keep watch with me. One handed driving by feelings, that would have been the way that I would have operated there. I mean, if I put myself in Jesus' shoes in this moment and I know what's coming my arrest, my my mockery of a trial, my torture, my death, it's coming. Me, in my human response, I'm gone. I'm running. I'm out of here. My one-handed driving with feelings and emotions dictates, i got to go. I've got to run. I've got to get away from this situation. But if we read on, we see Jesus' response very different. Verse 39, he went on a little farther, and this is what he did. He bowed with his face to the ground, praying. So what do we see in Jesus that kept him from allowing his feelings to drive his life? This is what he says. My father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me.
0: Yeah, so the, the feelings that Jesus is experiencing in that moment, I, I, you know, his feelings are saying, No, God, no, 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 I, I, I don't want to. His feelings are saying, This is not fair, I shouldn't have to. His feelings are saying, Run away, as Cole said, the human side, run away. The feelings are saying, listen, we can figure something, surely. God, we can figure something else out. I'm gone. But Jesus wasn't one-handing it. He still had feelings. He recognized those feelings. He was pouring those feelings out to God. But he added that second hand to drive. He recognized that Yeah, I'm feeling this. And these are the emotions I have. And this is what I'm feeling about that. But he added that second hand. And it's that second hand as we drive our lives that makes so much difference. Because that second hand is recognizing God's truth. That second hand is recognizing I'm dependent not on my feelings. I'm choosing to be dependent upon God. And that second hand is saying, I'm not going to submit to my feelings. I'm going to submit to God. And here is the response Jesus had. So he just prayed, God, God, God. He said, he said if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. And he adds that second hand and he says, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And in that moment, he then, he gets up, and verse 40 says, he returned to the disciples, and he found them asleep. And he said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? And he gives him a command, keep watch and pray, and here's why, so that you will not give in to temptation. And Jesus says, admits here, for the spirit is willing, but this body is is weak. It's as if Jesus is telling Peter, Peter listen to this, feelings will become your king if we don't stop and do something else to control them. It goes on in verse 42, then Jesus left them a second time and he prayed. Here he goes again, second time, my father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it. He then says, your will be done.
1: So again, feelings plus truth, dependence on God, and submission to God. That is the picture we have in Jesus. Jesus' humanity was crushed, and yet Jesus' dependence and submission to God allowed him to keep it on the road. Verse 43, this is continuing on. So Jesus has already prayed. He's come back. He's talked to, the, to Peter and to James and to John. And then he goes back and he prays again. And then verse 43, we pick up. It says, when he returned to them again, he found them sleeping. For they couldn't keep their eyes open. They were tired. It'd been a long night. In verse 44, Jesus, it says that, so he went to pray a third time, three times saying the exact same thing. Basically, God, I don't I don't father, I don't want to do this. But if this is what it has to be, I submit to you and I'm just going to lay it all at your feet and I'm going to do it. Feelings plus truth plus dependence plus submission. Two-handed driving. Now, I have known, I've read that, I've known that for years and I have missed a very key component to this
0: you know that that struck me cole when you were teaching the kids on Mm -hmm. monday night um that just that just resonated three times yeah
1: three times it required jesus's humanity his emotions he was crushed to the point of death it took jesus three times to be able To do what he had to do. To make the decision that as a result allowed me to have eternity connected with God. It took three times. It didn't just take one trip to the prayer closet, if you will, or to the prayer garden. Two wasn't enough. It took Jesus three times. If it took Jesus three times to be able to reach the point of submission, dependence, and truth, how many times will it take me? I I mean... It took Jesus three times. Now, he didn't sin in between. It's not like it was a sin that he was having to go back. It was his humanity screaming out, I don't want to do this. And yet, he took it to God three times. Our feelings that we have, just like Jesus, just like Peter, we can't get rid of them. They're there. Our feelings are there and God really he gave those feelings to us so that we could interpret life and we can experience life in the way that he intended for us to experience life but he didn't give us those feelings and those emotions for the purpose of driving life. Because Jesus, when he was crushed to the point of death, anguished and distressed at the lowest of the low he added the second hand. He added the truth and the dependence upon God and the submission to God. He he grabbed onto God-given stability to drive life. And then, and I'm going to read between the lines a little, Harley, if that's okay, because it doesn't necessarily tell us this. But if we look back at some of the earlier scriptures, and then we look at verses 45 and 46, after Jesus going to God three times, it's almost like there's a tone change. There's almost a tone change. Verse 45. Then he came to the disciples and said, Go ahead... It's like he said, okay, go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But the time, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here.
0: Yeah, it's just that here's the reality. Yeah. I'm going to do this. Recognizing those feelings. Yes, I've got them. But then Jesus had that second hand on, which was the, uh, the truth of God, the, the dependence upon God, not the feelings, the submission to God, not the feelings. Peter though, in this moment, he's still driving his life one-handed with his feelings. And so they step in, the the, the betrayer was there, Judas and then all the, the folks who were there to arrest Jesus. And they step in to arrest Jesus. Jesus. And Peter, with the one-handed driving, he pulls his sword out immediately. And and he's filled with rage. And he drives with his feeling. And here's what the Bible says in John chapter 18, verse 10. Then Simon Peter drew a sword and slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest's slave. Now,
1: 7, 8, 9, 10... 36-year-old Cole is over here reading this like, yeah, yeah, Peter, he did, you know, he did something. And I totally missed the point. I mean, but they arrest Jesus. And again, we're, I want to parallel Jesus' response in times of feelings, emotions, and distress and Peter's response. They arrest Jesus. They start his mockery of a trial. And, and Peter's close by. Now, he's not right in the moment but he's close by, but he's still driving that life. He's still driving with feelings and emotions. And he's still driving one-handed. Matthew tells us about it. Matthew 26, verse 69. Meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. So the way that the, um, where, where the trial was happening, Jesus was kind of in the inner part of the house or in the inner part of the the property. And then there was an outer courtyard, uh, and that's where Peter was. He was close enough to see what was happening. He could hear what was happening, but he wasn't going to get too close. And then Matthew continues on. He tells us that a servant girl came over and said to him, speaking to Peter, Hey, hey, you were one of those that was with Jesus the Galilean. Now, think about it. For the last three years, Peter... Jesus takes a step, Peter takes a step. Jesus takes a step, Peter takes a step. Everywhere Jesus went, Peter followed. And since Peter was pretty rash and pretty bold, Peter probably was pretty proud of that fact. You know, He had probably been pretty well seen around Jesus. And so at this moment in Peter's mind, wait a second, Jesus is arrested and it didn't look like the trial was going well. He's thinking, I'm next. Fear sets in in Peter. He feels it, and immediately he grabs that wheel one-handed, and he drives. And this is what Peter says, verse 70. But Peter denied it in front of everyone, and he said, I don't know what you're talking about.
0: It goes on in verse 71. It says, Later, out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, verse 72, Peter denied it. But this time, a little more uh, gusto with it. It's with an oath he denied it. I don't even know the man, he said. And so, boom, as soon as that happens, more fear. And let's add to that even anxiety. And again, Peter feels it fast, and he drives with it fast. And then it goes on to verse 73. A little later... Some of the now other bystanders, they come over to Peter and they said, you must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent and this time we're going to add anger. He's got fear and anxiety and now anger. He felt it. He drove with it fast. And now Peter gets even stronger. And this time the Bible says he swore. It says Peter swore, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. Verse 75, suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind before the rooster crows you will deny me three times deny three times that you even knew me and the bible says he went away weeping bitterly
1: so here is peter probably as we understand the life of peter as it is recorded for us we're seeing the low point for peter because think about this jesus is tortured as far as we know peter is nowhere to be found jesus is crucified he is killed And as far as we know, as far as the Bible tells us, as far as we can tell, Peter is nowhere to be found. John's there. John's there. Jesus on the cross says to John, take care of my mom. So we know John was there, one of his closest friends, one of the three close, Peter, James, John. We know John was there. But Peter's nowhere to be found, as far as we know. Jesus is placed in the tomb, and as far as we know, and there's detail about these things, Peter is nowhere to be found. We see nothing of Peter. It's like he just falls off the earth. From that moment when the rooster crowed to now, Peter's off the pages of history. The next time that we see Peter is actually after the ladies have arrived at the empty tube this morning, thousands of years ago. And Luke tells us about it. Luke chapter 24, verse 9. Returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven... And to all the rest, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them were telling the apostles these things. So they come and they say, guys, you're not going to believe this. But we got there, the rock was gone, we looked in, there was nobody there. We don't know what to make of it. In fact, they really thought that maybe Jesus' body had been stolen. Um, They said, we don't know. We're lost as you are, but we're just telling you what happened. And in fact... Verse 11 tells us, but these words the, to the apostles, these words seem like nonsense to them, and they didn't believe the women. But verse 12 tells us that Peter, being the rash, emotional Peter that he is, Peter, however, got up, and he ran to the tomb, and when he stopped to look in, he saw only the linen clothes, cloths. So he went home amazed at what had happened.
0: You know, I, the, the thing I like about that is this. If I'm going to be quick in a reaction, if I'm going to be fast in a reaction, I want to be quick to run to Jesus. That's what Peter did. He ran to where Jesus was last seen in that tomb. I want to be quick to run to Jesus because it is Jesus who can help us see the truth. And it is Jesus That we should be dependent upon. And it is Jesus who is the only one worthy of our submission. And we see something beginning to change in Peter. You know after he denied Jesus three times. We don't really have a record of Peter driving his life anymore. One handed with feelings. We just don't have a record of it. Now that very same prophet that we began with, Jeremiah, out of the old covenant, out of the Old Testament, God used him to say that our heart is wicked above all else. He is the very one who in that same uh, book records these words in Jeremiah chapter 31. Listen to this. The day is coming, Jeremiah writes, and God told him to write this. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. Now for Peter, that's what's actually happening right then. That's what's changing inside of Peter. That is what Peter is living through in that moment. Here, listen to Jeremiah describe this, verse 32. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. Verse 33, he goes on. But this new covenant, I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. And this is the day they're living in. He says, I will put my instructions deep within them. He said, I will write them not on stone, not on a tablet. He said, I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God And they will be my people. And Peter was now beginning to drive his life, not with feelings, but two-handed. The feelings helping him, helping us experience this life. But filtering these feelings with God's truth and filtering these feelings by becoming dependent not on the feelings but dependent upon upon Jesus and and not submitting to the feelings but submitting to God and we see a change in peter and how he is living his life we see that
1: so when we started this morning we wanted i wanted to show a parallel picture of jesus and peter how jesus allowed his feelings and his emotions to be connected with truth and dependence and submission and how peter didn't but now as we've moved beyond as we've moved beyond what happened according you know Jeremiah said what happened Jesus this day that God was talking about that this everything was going to change as a result of what Jesus did and Peter is experiencing this now we can compare Peter before and now Peter now and and the best example is that second day that we were talking about that happened a couple of months later and it it actually is recorded in the book of Acts we're not going to read all the way through it i'll paraphrase some of it but Man, it's just some of the most amazing, probably the two coolest, in my opinion, the two coolest chapters in the new covenant outside of the life of Christ. Because, so in your mind, think about Jesus, he's resurrected this morning, and then 40 days later, according to Acts chapter 1, 40 days after Jesus' resurrection, he's walking around, he's teaching, he's talking, he's appearing to people, he's he's interacting with his, his disciples and with his friends, and then 40 days after his resurrection, Acts chapter 1 tells us that Jesus ascends into heaven. He's gone. And he says, as he's ascending, he says, hey... Don't worry, I'm leaving you for a while, but I'm going to send somebody in my place. I'm going to send, there's going to be something come in my place that's going to take care of you. And then we jump to Acts chapter 2. And Acts chapter 2 takes place about 10 days after the ascension. You say, how in the world can you know that? Well, because we we pretty much know when it was because it was during the uh, Jewish festival called Pentecost. Now, that's the English word for it, Pentecost. The Jewish word for it, I'm not even going to take a, take a shot at. But it was on the Jewish festival called Pentecost. And Jesus had told the disciples, stay in Jerusalem, just stay. And they stayed in the Jewish festival of Pentecost, which was uh, the festival when the wheat harvest would come in. And they were in the, the city of Jerusalem during the festival of Pentecost, which that was 50 days after Pentecost. Passover, so we know about when this happens, 50 days after Jesus' resurrection or so, and then 10 days after Jesus' ascension, and we find the disciples in Jerusalem in a house probably going, what now? I mean, you can imagine the emotions going through them right now. For three years, they've walked with Jesus, they've talked with Jesus, they've been taught by Jesus, and then for three days, they saw him be arrested, tried, tortured, killed, and it was over, and three days later, he's back, and we get to experience time with him for 40 days, and then he just leaves. And for 10 days, for about a week and a half, they're just kind of, what now? And then Acts chapter two tells us something that something amazing happens. It says that as they were sitting in the room, there was a sound like a rushing wind that came into the house. And all of a sudden, and apparently while this was going on, a crowd began to gather. And the crowd was walking up and they were hearing the apostles speak and teach and they were hearing it in their own language. What that was was God's Holy Spirit coming to earth as Jesus said what happened. The Holy Spirit arrived and Peter and James and John and the apostles, they were teaching and they were speaking. And the Bible in Acts chapter 2 tells us that if you were a Arab, you would hear them speaking in Arabic, even though they were speaking in their language. And, and they were, it was amazing. And the Acts chapter 2 tells us that Cretans were hearing it in their language and Greeks were hearing it in their language and Romans were hearing it in Latin. And it was so amazing, according to Acts chapter 2, that the crowd that had gathered that was seeing this miraculous thing happen here, they actually said, those guys are drunk. That's how crazy it was. They said, they're drunk. They're hammered. (laughs) Something crazy happening. And then we see the new Peter. Because Luke chapter 2 verse 14 jumps in and it tells us that, but Peter stood up with the 11. This is a different Peter. Peter stood up with the eleven. He raised his voice and proclaimed to them, Mid of Judah and all you residents of Jerusalem, let me explain this to you, and you pay attention to my words. Right here, Peter begins speaking very boldly, in spite of the fact that it could cost him his life. He begins speaking very boldly, telling them about Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. And then as a result of Peter and what he did, on this day, Acts chapter 2, verse 37, probably Luke, Luke probably wrote wrote Acts, Luke writes and tells us that on verse 37, when they heard this, the men who just moments ago, before Peter spoke, had said, these guys are drunk. When they heard this, they came under deep conviction and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what must we do? And verse 41 tells us that as a result of Peter's teaching, they went from thinking they were drunk To those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added.
0: You know, we see a very different Peter in that moment. Not one-handed driving by feelings, but he's added that second hand of truth and dependence, not upon feelings, but of God, and submission, not to feelings, but to God. That's what we see And our bottom line this morning. At least the first part of the bottom line says this. Let feelings drive and it's hard to survive in our lives i have experienced this in mind it is difficult to survive in life when i'm driving by my feelings at work if we drive by feelings at work we are going to have problems with many of our coworkers and we're going to have problems with many of our supervisors and bosses if we're driving by our feelings at home It's not going to work in our family. It's going to be off the rails, into the ditch. If we are driving by feelings, one-handed in life, in our relationships, it's not going to work. We're going to hurt many, many people, including ourselves. If we're driving one-handed in our marriage, it's not going to work. There's going to be harm and damage, friendships, marriage, you see, God gave us these feelings so that we could experience this life. And, and, but he gave us the feelings for the experience, not for the drive. Not to lead it and guide it and drive us. So our bottom line, there's actually two parts. The first part says, let feelings drive and it's hard to survive. The second part of the bottom line says, but... 10 and 2, that'll do. (laughs) If you had driver's head, you know what I'm talking about. Both hands on the wheel at 10 and 2. If we will drive our lives with two hands, not by feelings, but adding to that, recognizing the feelings, yes, we're not trying to deny them, we're not trying to say they're not there, that we're not. Yes, recognize the feelings, but add that second hand. The The hand of God's truth. The hand that says, I'm going to be dependent upon God, not my feelings. The hand that says, I'm going to submit, not to my feelings, but to God. Let feelings drive. It's hard to survive, but 10 and 2, that'll do. So what can we do as a result of this? Our challenge is this. Will you, this week, Begin to recognize the feelings that you have. Just stop there though and pause. Recognize those feelings. But make sure you add to those feelings God's truth. And that's a choice we have to make. That doesn't just happen. The natural thing is to drive by feelings. But we have to stop and pause, recognize that, then add God's truth. And we need to claim, I'm going to be dependent upon God, not my feelings. I'm going to submit to God. In this moment, submit to God, not my feelings. We want to experience those feelings, but we do not want to drive our lives with those feelings. It's going to be hard to survive if we do. But if we can add to that God's truth, being dependent upon Him, not our feelings, being submitted to Him, not our feelings, then, then we are driving life the way Jesus drove His. His. And I'm going to ask if you would join me as we right now pause and talk to God, our Father. Let's pray. Jesus, you lived the perfect life. Jesus, you experienced feelings, but you didn't let them lead you. And may we learn to experience our feelings. And and may we add to those feelings your truth and may we add to those feelings dependence upon you, and then then we are ready to make decisions and to live our lives moment by moment. Jesus, give us the wisdom to know what to do with what we have heard today, and we ask you, Jesus, to give us the courage to do it. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.